This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is good? This is your host, Jeremiah Bear, back at the Living Lean Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my dude, Tommy Clark. Tommy, thanks for being here, brother. Of course, dude. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, man. All right. So for those of for the followers that don't know, I'm really sure I'm wrong words today. For everybody that doesn't know who is Tommy Clark, tell us what you're all about, what you're doing. Uh, so you mean everyone? <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, what's up, everyone? My name is Tommy Clark. I'm a nutrition coach and I mainly work with athletes. I work with everyone, but um, lately been focusing a lot with athletes. Um, I used to be a college basketball player myself, and that's kind of how I got into this whole thing is because growing up, I was the white kid that stood in the corner and shot threes. Like that was my game and I was good enough in it that I was able to play in college. But once I got to college, it was one of those situations where everyone, it was D3, but even then, like everyone's like in that next level up in terms of athleticism. And it was just, it was just tough to hang with them. And I was at a point where. I didn't really know what the next step was because I was already in the gym six, seven days a week, sometimes or a lot of the times twice per day, watching film, watching all the YouTube videos I could find about how to improve my game, reading, but like everything you could think of. Um, and I was just stuck. Like I was wondering what, what's missing. What's the piece that's going to allow me to like make that next step. Cause in high school, like I rode the bench a little bit during sophomore year and that kind of like catalyzed the, the thought process of like, okay, I need an actual training program but nutrition wasn't anywhere in the picture. So by the time I got to college, like, all right, what's that next step? And somehow by some stroke of luck, I was on this forum, came across the post on nutrition. And I was like, oh, you know what? That makes sense. I could see how that could influence what I'm doing as an athlete. Unfortunately, the, the post was promoting the paleo diet as like the cure-all for every nutrition problem for athletes, which is just absurd. <laughs> I think the paleo diet, for those of you guys that don't know, um, it's essentially, quote unquote, eating like the cavemen did, which means cutting out processed foods, eliminating pretty much everything except like your meats, veggies, our fruits. I, I think fruits are considered paleo. I would hope so. If they're not, yeah, that's just no, absurd. Sure they are. Um, I know potatoes aren't, which I I, I think there's a de- like a heated debate there in the paleo community, but that's a topic for a different podcast. Long story <laughs> short went and did the paleo diet as like my first foray into nutrition, which had both its positives and negatives. The negatives, very obvious by cutting out the processed foods, cutting out grains as well. My carbohydrate intake went down drastically. So I just wasn't fueling properly for performance. And I wasn't tracking at this point either. So I just had no clue. I was eating meats and veggies and fruits and thinking I was on top of the world. But in reality, I dropped like 21 pounds in a month in look like I was sick. No one told me I looked like I was sick, which looking back, I'm like, dude, like no one saw this going on, but that happened, figured out eventually something's up here. Like it's, I'm feeling lightheaded at the end of my practices. Um, and in games, my my vertical jump went from like slightly non-existent to like completely just not there. (laughs) I feel it. It wasn't like, it wasn't getting better. But at the same time, I was super interested in the whole subject. So I was reading books like for the first time on my own outside of school since like second grade when I read Harry Potter. 
Like that was, it got me back into that, listening to podcasts, like walking to and from class, listening to audiobooks, all this stuff, like super interested in it. And eventually, I think I, I either stumbled across uh, our guy Cody or Jason. I forget which one I came across first. Right. And I think, actually, I think it was Jason's video at uh, Jason Phillips, his video about like why paleo sucks for CrossFit. And I watched that and I was like, huh, that's, that's interesting. That, that kind of makes sense. And that kind of, got me into the whole macro thing and figuring out, oh shit, carbs actually, am I allowed to cuss on here? Oh yeah, fuck yeah. Okay, I always gotta ask. Hey, that's the I was like, fuck on here now that I think of it, but yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, like carbohydrates are kind of important for this whole performance thing. So I figured out I gotta eat this many calories, gotta protein, carbs, fats, figured out how to put together a macro prescription for myself and started going down that, that road, gained the weight back luckily and, and gained a little bit more weight the proper way and performance felt a lot better. I was just feeling a lot better and still over that time kept reading, listening to podcasts and eventually got certified through precision nutrition at first and then NCI and then kind of got into coaching friends. Uh, first client was my best friend, uh, ended up losing 60 pounds. And I was like, Oh crap. I'm actually, I was like, I'm actually pretty good at this. Um, but dude was a machine. So a lot of the work was most of the work was him. Right. Um, but it kind of gave me a little bit of ego boost, like, oh, damn, like, actually, I, I can do this. And then slowly, slowly but surely from there, over the past like year and a half, been building the coaching business and lately been uh, bringing on a lot of pro basketball players that play overseas, which has been a really cool experience. And really, especially in the past like half a year or so, I've uh, been mainly working with athletes because I was that guy who was struggling to perform. And I want to make sure that any athlete that comes across my content that I coach, um, as many athletes as possible don't have to go through that same frustration of like feeling like they're putting in all the work, but not getting the results they think they should be getting. That was super long winded, but hopefully that, dude, no, you uh, that was a decent it. intro. No, I think we're good for the podcast actually. No, dude, for <laughs> real though, you, I, I love where you're coming from, man. Cause like, so similarly, like even my own story, I remember now I'm an awful athlete, like. I played on homeschool basketball team back in seventh grade. That was the basketball career. But um, same thing, like even like through most of college when I was like, I just want to get, I think like everybody struggles with the same thing. And especially athletes, there's like so much out there. Like, okay, here's the training program that's going to fix your vertical. Here's the training program that's going to get you hella strong for football or whatever. But then there's like crickets when it comes to nutrition, which is the weirdest thing to me. so for you, I well, love- not. I want to step in. It's not crickets. It's just the way people communicate nutrition in terms of athletics is boring as fuck, and like no one wants to pay attention to it. It's okay. like people saying, "Eat your vegetables and eat healthy drink water and, and drink more water." But like the athletes don't care about that, though. Right? Like they don't care about macros. They don't care about protein or anything like that like they're not like very few athletes there's some out there that are like me that like all the science and stuff but mm-hmm. most of them don't really care about it and right. that's fine yet so many professionals in the space will communicate it in this like sciencey way filled with like just big words and like trying to make them sound smart and whatnot and athletes just get either get lost or they're like eh, i don't really care because they don't understand how it's going to help Okay. Yeah. So that's, let's dive into that actually, dude, because a lot of coaches do listen to this podcast. I work with a lot of coaches. Yeah. So when you're coaching an athlete, because I wanted to ask you, I'm guessing that now this is just a guess. I haven't worked with very mm-hmm. many athletes myself, but I'm guessing that many of the athletes you work with 
don't necessarily want to track macros or like how do you convey how do you convey this to an athlete to keep it like as simple as possible yeah well surprisingly a lot of the guys i work with do tracks i think they realize um i always want to progress them to progress them to tracking at some point um whether they're starting like that it depends but a lot of the guys i work with i think there's a little bit of like self-selection bias there because a lot of the guys i work one-on-one with people Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily i'm not working for a team so in a team environment you have a lot more of the "Ah, i don't care i don't want to do this if someone's willing enough to say okay i'm going to give this a shot odds are they're going to be more likely to do what i ask them to or do what the like stick with the plan um but even then there's always a little bit of resistance especially with some guys saying like my schedule's too busy this that the same excuses general population people get right because I think a lot of people don't realize these athletes are human too. Like they have the same things that kids, busy schedules, really, really busy schedules. Right. Um, and there, there is some resistance sometimes, but I think if you can explain it and educate in a way that connects the dots between what you're asking them, what you're asking them to do and the result that it's going to get them, I think then you create that buy-in. Right. Um, so if they understand, if the athlete understands that, Yo, I'm a tall, lanky basketball player that if like I'm just eating ad libitum or or freely, whatever, I'm gonna undereat. If they understand that and they understand that undereating is gonna hurt their performance, then it becomes a lot easier to get them to want to track. And I think also just creating trust with the athlete of like, okay, you know what? You just gotta trust me at first. But the cool thing about performance is or performance nutrition is that whereas fat loss and muscle gain take a lot of time uh, for results to actually happen, if an athlete goes from way under eating to actually eating at maintenance or on a surplus or however much they need to feel properly, they're going to feel results almost instantly. Oh yeah, within a couple of days, especially within a couple of weeks, like they'll feel it right away. And once you get that initial burst of results, the buy-in it's pretty easy. Right. Um, but I think it, it's a combination of one educating in a way that like makes the whole process interesting and appealing to the athlete, not just spitting a bunch of science at them that they don't really care about. And also just getting them the results uh, on the front end, that first kind of initial bit of results to create that buy-in. And once you do that, it's usually a pretty straightforward process and they actually become a lot more invested in the process. Right. And you just made that sound hella simple, but so much of what you just said is like the art of coaching and like, for sure. Cause you could also like, somebody could just be like, yo, here's your macros. This is going to help. And like that athlete wouldn't do shit with it. But like how you talk about, okay, go out of your way to over explain like first why this is important and then do a ton to create buy-in actually make this interesting and exciting. Like truly like the delivery. And again, like talking about the art of coaching, that's like the delivery for the exact same thing. Sometimes makes all the difference for actually getting people. Oh, for sure. And I think also, especially for athletes, understanding that it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, really, the only scenario I could imagine where you have to be like super precise with your macros and stuff is either if you're stepping on stage for a bodybuilding show or a photo shoot, or you just want to get like as lean as you possibly can. Like, in that case, obviously, you got to be exact, like down to the calorie, to the macro. But if you're an athlete looking to perform, there's quite a bit of flexibility there right um so it's not they don't necessarily a lot of times i don't even have them weigh out their food it's more so just using my fitness pal as kind of an estimating tool to make sure they're in the general vicinity of where they should be right um if an athlete's trying to lean down or have to overweight or something like that then 
we got to get a little bit more exact um, just because um, maintenance tends maintenance and, and gaining tends to be a little bit easier and you have more flexibility but as you know like when you're in a deficit you got to make sure like the difference between 50 100 200 calories that that could make or break a deficit right. um but i think helping the athlete understand too that it's not really like it's not really that much of a time commitment it's more so just how much like effort you're willing to put in okay okay i love it so Next question that I wanted to ask you, which actually segues into this very well, mm-hmm. for an athlete that does, so say you have an athlete that does want to get leaner or yeah. an athlete that does want to bulk up, how do you periodize that around like their season? Yeah. So ideally, I'm of the opinion that I'd like to see that like those major body composition changes happen early in the off season. So um, you really during your season, or like really close to your season, you don't really want to make any drastic changes. I would say the only exception to that rule is like a weight class restricted athlete. If they're cutting, going into a, going into a fight or a competition or a meet or whatever, um, then obviously they're going to have to be in a deficit pretty close to when they're competing. Right. But for a team sport athlete, I'd like to see that happen early in the off season, not right when the season finishes. Cause you want to make sure you're at maintenance or in a surplus to facilitate recovery from the previous season. But after a couple of weeks at maintenance, uh, likely training intensity and volume is going to go down. At least I would hope um, after a couple of weeks of that, then when they transition to their kind of off-season program, if they really do want to lean down um, or if they really do need to lean down if they're just overweight and out of shape, then that's when I would periodize that in because it's far enough away from – in traditional team sports, off-season is pretty long, especially if they're at the pro level or in the college level, because we don't have all like the summer, summer league or, or the off season leagues. Um, there's a car alarm going off outside. Um, but they don't have all those off season commitments. High school is a little bit trickier just because, um, you have all these, your sports are pretty much year round, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Can't really like, can't really debate that, but, um, they're pretty much year round now. And even at with that being said, at the high school level, you probably don't want to be cutting anyway, just because you're right. still growing, and, right. and that's not a good look for just long-term health. So, if there's any youth athletes listening to this or coaches, like don't like youth wrestlers are just—it's a nightmare, just because they're always cutting and stuff like that, and like that can actually affect your long-term health. But uh, in general, early off season is when I would like to see those body composition changes happen. Okay, okay, I love it, and that's—I think one thing that often gets lost is like the context of all this, like what yeah. you do for fat loss is completely different than what we do for like, if you're trying to yeah. optimize performance, right? Yeah. I just made a post about this. Like today, a lot of athletes will eat the same way year round and think that they're um, doing the right thing. And it's well, oftentimes it's well intentioned, but it can really mess you up in either one or two ways. One, you could like be following like the men's health diet of like the, that's meant for a, 40-year-old dad trying to lose their beer belly, which probably isn't even suitable for that type of demographic anyway. <laughs> but they follow that sort of like chicken, rice, broccoli diet and like end up in a calorie deficit year round, which obviously isn't helpful for performance and recovery and, and long-term health and stuff like that. Um, or they could be eating properly to fuel performance during their season, but then they just eat that same way year round, even when their training demands may go down or up or whatever. And that that could also lead to some negative effects. So just right. making sure, I think if you can take, if you can effectively periodize like your goal, 
And that'll allow you to progress long-term. Um, so that's something I definitely try to instill a lot with that I work with. I love it, man. So for an athlete that say like one of your pro basketball players that is in season and you're just trying to optimize. Yeah. And I know this is going to be a very, it depends question, for sure. but generalize as much as you can. So like for one of your pro players, that's just trying to optimize everything performance wise. Like, yeah. What does that look like? Like how big of a surplus generally, like what are macro ratios like if you dive too deep into that, any thoughts on that? For sure. So I would say for a team sport athlete during your season, the goal is just to maintain and it's hard. Odds are you probably won't even maintain. You'll probably lose weight. Um, but just kind of minimizing those losses or if you, if you can maintain, like you're in a really good place. Um, but just trying as hard as possible to, to be at maintenance. Um, and that might often look like being in what you think is a surplus, um, uh, based on like what the calculations would be, but, um, just cause of the energy demands are so high. Right. But in terms of calories, I would at least like to see that maintenance. Um, and then proteins, pretty standard, nothing too crazy. Uh, that general like 0.8 to one gram per pound range seems to be totally fine. If you're a relatively lean individual, like most athletes are going to be, um, you don't want to go too crazy with the protein during the in-season phase because you don't want higher protein intake to um, cut into calories that could be used for carbohydrates because carbohydrates are going to be what actually fuel your performance at high intensities. Um, fat can be used as a fuel as well and like lower intensities and to some extent at higher intensities, but not nearly as effectively as carbohydrates. And I wish I knew that during my college career, that would have helped out a ton. Um, but in terms of protein, 0.8 to one gram per pound and then fat somewhere around 25% is probably fine. You don't want to go lower than 20% or else you might, uh, you're going to get into a kind of dangerous area where you might be affecting your hormonal health and, and stuff like that. And then I usually don't use like percentages or grams per pound for carbs when making a prescription. I usually just take care of protein first, fat, and then whatever's left goes to carbs. But in yeah. general, like the recommendation for the recommendation for athletes in general, and the ISSN is like five grams per kilogram to 12 grams per kilogram, which is just like an absurdly <laughs> large <laughs> range. An big range yeah. um, if you're a team sport athlete, that range kind of narrows down to four to seven grams per kilogram uh, per day of carbohydrates, which is a little bit more reasonable. Like that higher end of like the general recommendation is like for your ultra marathoners, people just okay. like doing absurdly high um, levels of activity, but four to seven grams per kilogram is usually a good range to follow into. And typically if you follow that process of like, okay, take care of calories, take care of protein and fats, fill the rest with carbs, you'll fall somewhere in that range. Right. Okay. Okay. Dope. I love it. So, that said, then when we're getting yep. into like now, I know we're kind of getting off into the weeds here of like for sure. No, way, I love this stuff. way past the basics of like these are the foundational principles that everybody needs to know, which I do want to yep. circle back to because I think it's important on this podcast that we also cover like, yo, this is what you need. To, these are the boxes you need to check before you worry about any of this. But for sure. let's nerd out over about like pre-intra post-workout strategies. So yeah. Do you, when you're working with athletes, do you get into that with like, here's what we're going to do around your training, around practice, shit like that, or more specifically, just what you're going to do around the games or both? Um, ideally both. Okay. At first, I don't really touch on that at all. Okay. Um, like when an athlete first comes to me, it's like, dude, let's just make sure you're getting the total calories in. 
let's just make sure you're getting the total macros. And once you got that down, then let's look at what your pregame, postgame meal. Unless they come to me saying like, bro, my stomach is killing me while I'm playing. And then I look and see they got to talk about like an hour before the game. Like, unless something like that happens, most of the time, take care of the basics first and then progress to that. But yeah, eventually we will get them to that point. Um, Especially if they're like the like closer to like how I was as an athlete, like always looking for that little extra edge. Right. Some guys are like that. Some guys aren't, but if they are, then we'll definitely dive down that rabbit hole. Um, and on game day, I typically like to have athletes have like some sort of routine and just go with like the same thing every game day and, okay. and try to just, just like they have their, their warm up routine. Uh, they might watch film earlier in the day. They might go to shoot around earlier in the day. They have like a routine and everything else, but the food's always up in the air. So if we can take care of that and just make sure they know what they're having for breakfast, they know what they're having for lunch, they know what they're having right before their game, um, they know what that looks like. So that way it's just one less thing they have to worry about. Um, and also before training, especially when their schedule gets to be a little bit crazier, like two a days and stuff like that, that's when nutrient timing and stuff like that becomes a lot more important. If they're just training once a day or intensity isn't that high. It's not crucial as long as they're getting their total intake in, but when intensity goes up or frequency goes up or stuff like that, then we got to look at that for sure. Right. Okay. Okay. So for somebody that is trying to optimize everything, let's say around training, like, yeah, they're like, yo, pre intra post, what does my strategy need to look like? Like what type of recommendations do you get there? And again, I know some of this is, it depends. I'm kind of pushing oh, for sure. Yeah. You generalize this, but what do you got for yeah. me? Yeah, as you said, usually it's like a major, it depends. Um, Because some guys like to eat a pretty big meal before they train or go play. Um, Some like to go in fasted. Um, There's like a really wide range there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I usually like to, I think the best way to generalize it is to just give like the variables of what your pre-workout meal would be and like kind of go over how you would change those. So typically there's, let's see. There's like five variables I like to run through. It's like a checklist um, to construct their pre-workout. And a very similar um, structure can be used for the post-workout too. But the first of those is timing. Like how how close to your training are you actually going to eat? And what a lot of athletes don't realize is that unless you're eating in a time from this longer than three to four hours before your training, you're not actually using um, what you're eating right before for fuel it's more what the total like last 24 hours was um so if you don't eat something it's not the end of the world like don't take this as and don't take this and run with it and like go into every single workout fast and wondering why you're not hitting right. any prs or improving at all so you still want to eat before you train um but that meal actually isn't really fueling that training session um and in terms of timing, it really just depends. I always like to kind of use a saying, go into it feeling fueled, but not full. Like you want to feel good. You want to not be starving or super hungry, but you also don't want to be lethargic and sluggish and feeling like there's like you have a baby in your stomach or something running. Like, um, you don't want to feel uncomfortable, stuff like that. Um, so as a starting point, I usually recommend anywhere between an hour and a half to two hours. Again, that's a really arbitrary number. There's no like magic so that number is just a good starting point. Right. And that usually puts athletes in a position where they're feeling fueled, but not full. Um, but then it just comes down to testing and assessing. So cool. This week, let's try eating two hours before. Oh, you feel super hungry. Um, maybe let's push it up a little bit and do an hour, hour and a half before. 
or you feel it's too full, let's move it back a little bit, do two hours and a half or two and a half hours, three hours, whatever. We can kind of fine tune that um, and kind of get you to a point where you know where you feel best at. And then kind of similarly, uh, we'd use a similar approach with calories. Uh, again, there's no like set number, like for your pre-workout meal per se. I usually like to recommend starting around 500. Again, okay. totally arbitrary number, right. but it seems to be a decent amount to where um, you'll feel not hungry, but you also won't be too full. Right. Um, and you know, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be super Yeah. That's going to be super individual too. So just like with the timing, you're going to want to test that. And if you have 500 calories, you feel like you want to throw up during your session, cool. Then um, maybe lower it a little bit or if the opposite happens, maybe increase it a little bit. And the thing with the timing and calorie variables, don't change both of them at once. So if you notice you're feeling too full during your session, either move the meal back or decrease the calories and vice versa. If you feel like you're super hungry during a session, either move the meal up or increase the calories. You can do them both eventually, but don't do them both at the same time. Cause then you're not going to, you're not going to know it works. Um, so those are the first two variables and then proteins, pretty standard 20 to 40 grams. Um, nothing too crazy there. Um, just to maximize muscle protein synthesis. And that's like not too different from any other meal throughout the day. Right. If you're a bigger guy or girl, you'll probably want to be on this, the higher end of that range, smaller on the uh, lower end of that range. And then again, for carbs, um, kind of arbitrary, just like fill out the rest of your calories essentially, because you're going to want to limit fats. Um, don't feel like you can't have any dietary fat in that pre-workout meal, but just like, don't go dousing your chicken and rice and olive oil or some shit. Like that's not going to be a good one. <laughs> it feels a bit um, sluggish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because fat's going to slow down how quickly um, that that food is going to be able to be digested and absorbed, um, and it's also going to slow down how quickly it leaves your stomach, which can lead to some discomfort when you're out on the court or in the gym or whatever. Um, so you're going to want to limit added dietary fat. And also, I should mention for the protein sources, try to stick to relatively lean protein sources. Um, like ground beef is great. Like eighty-five, fifteen ground beef is great, but is that the best pre-workout meal? Maybe not because it has a pretty high fat content, just like wild caught salmon. It's a great protein source. Um, any other meal would 100% recommend it, but right before you train, probably not a good look just because of the high fat content. Um, so maybe go with leaner protein sources. And then, like I said, just avoid that additional fat. And um, another caveat too that kind of catches some athletes off guard is like, don't go crazy with the vegetables pre-workout. Like you don't want to go crazy with the fiber. Again, if you want to have some veggies or whatever, I'm not going to sit here and say don't eat them, but just be mindful of it. If you're someone who tends to get bloated easily and maybe has a GI system that um, it's just not a great look to have a ton of fiber right before you work out because you feel uncomfortable, then don't do it. If you can have it and feel fine and it doesn't really affect you, then cool, get another serving of vegetables in. Um, but just be mindful of fiber intake because um, that can also slow down digestion and the digestion of the carbohydrates and stuff like that and lead to some digestive discomfort too. Um, I think that rounds out the, the pre-workout meal structure. Crush it. Yeah. I love it, dude. So as far as like intro workout, do you, do you have yeah. people worry about that at all? Is that normally something you just say, yo, it's not that big of a deal. What are your recommendations? Yeah. There? I don't have a lot of my guys worry about it just because they're not to that place yet. Um, I think if an athlete, is to that place where macros are dialed in, 
um, calories are dialed in, micronutrients are dialed in, pre and post workout meal timing is dialed in. Almost everything else you could think of is dialed in. <laughs> then okay, let's look at intro workout. Right. Um, I think it's more of an educate, like educating them on what not to do. Because I think that's where they mess up a lot. Um, something you don't want to do is like when you pull up to the game, like an hour before, just down like a whole bottle of Gatorade, because that's going to send your blood sugar into a tailspin and you're going to crash like right. when you don't want your blood sugar to be crashing. Um, so this is more so educating them what not to do. Um, but in terms of actual strategies, if the workout is less than an hour, an hour and a half, just stick with water. And especially if it's not super intense, there's no real reason to, to go crazy with like sports drinks and carbohydrates and stuff like that. If it's a longer session, um, if it's, if it's a longer session or if you have, if you have multiple sessions in a day, or if you're like really like a hard gainer trying to squeeze out every last bit of muscle growth that you possibly can, then some intra-workout nutrition could be, could be beneficial. Um, but most athletes don't have to worry about that. Like from the get go, there's like, there's so many other things that you're going to want to focus on first before you worry about, um, intra-workout nutrition. I would say just as a general rule of thumb, less than an hour, hour and a half, just stick with water. I mean, like a pinch of salt or some electrolytes or something. If you're, especially if you're in a hot environment or you're outside or, um, you, you're a salty sweater. Um, and if it goes longer than that, or it's super intense, then maybe go with a sports drink. Um, right. and just like sip on that. You don't, you probably don't need to drink as much as you think you do. Um, I would say the only scenario where like intra-workout nutrition becomes very, very important is obviously for endurance athletes. That's like a major part of their sport. Um, but in general, like teams for athletes and, and guys and girls like that don't need to worry about it a ton from the beginning. Right. Okay. Okay. I love it. And again, I think that's something that honestly, there's like the, the like intro workout drinks in general, like when we get like highly branched cyclic dextrin is something that has blown yeah. up a lot lately. And that's what I have. I think yeah. I have three clients that are other coaches and it's like, okay, we've literally optimized everything else we possibly could in your life, yeah. like sleep, stress, all your yeah. micronutrients, everything is dialed. If you want to like get this last, I don't know if it's even 1%, but like, we're yeah. doing everything possible to make more gains. Like, okay, now let's focus on like your intro workout nutrition, but that's what, and even more so for general for population sure. and then, then, um, yeah. athletes is like, this is very much so minutia. And I, Definitely. like you said, there are certain contexts where that's more important, but I do think that's something that sometimes gets a bit overplayed. Cause it's, it's fancy. It's cool. Right. Um, and, and like, it's exciting. Like eating your vegetables isn't very exciting, but like, highly highly branched stick like dextrin sounds like some crazy like i don't even know it just it, just, it sounds it sounds cool so i have to think about oh, i want to take that right um like the even the, the two most common questions that get asked are what supplements should i be taking and what foods are best for muscle growth and i don't i get that question asked so much i'm just like dude so what foods are enough calories for muscle growth <laughs> i'm just with you no i don't no, get I it and again it's so much like <laughs> so much like context like if you're somebody that's focused on fat loss like you absolutely sure. don't need to be drinking Gatorade during your training session right yeah okay so yeah i think we covered that pretty well um post-workout last one and again like for the listeners this is all very fluid like i know like what should we post depends on like how much you did pre but again, yeah general recommendations post-workout <clears throat> for sure so 
if given that you didn't go into the workout fasted, um, post-workout, you have a lot more freedom, like the time frame. I'd still like to recommend all my athletes get their post-workout meal or shake in within an hour after they train. Um, like if you can get in as soon as possible, cool. But if you can't get it in for an hour or two, you're not like shooting yourself in the foot or anything. Unless like stress is super high, like you're in the middle of your competitive season, you have like two a days, three a days, like a crazy stressful schedule, both physically and mentally, then post-workout nutrition might be a little bit more important just to kind of get cortisol down and shift you into a recovery state, muscle glycogen replenishment, stuff like that. But in general, if you're an athlete in your off season, um, trying to get better and you ate before your session, you're fine. You don't need to stress too much. Um, I would, like I said, I would still recommend getting it in within an hour or two hours because there's really no benefit to waiting. Um, that's the thing. I think people overcorrected really hard with the whole, there's no anabolic window thing. Like there is, it's just not like a 10 minute anabolic window. It's more like a three, four, five hour. There's one study I think that showed that muscle protein synthesis was elevated for up to 24 hours post right. resistance training or something like that. So there is definitely an anabolic window. It's just not nearly as tight as supplement companies want to make you think. Um, so even though you don't have to get a meal in or a shake in right after you train, there's no real benefit to waiting. So if you can stomach it, if you're not one of those people that gets nauseous, like post training, and can't stomach any food. Um, if your schedule allows for it and you can do it, there's no reason not to. Um, so my general advice would be as soon as possible after training, get a meal and get a shake in, especially if intensity was pretty high. Um, not so much from the muscle protein synthesis perspective, but from a perspective like your central nervous system and getting you into a parasympathetic state. It's like getting you from that amped up fight or flight state down into the parasympathetic state. I don't know if you've gone over like the whole cortisol thing here on the uh, on the a podcast. little bit, not too much actually on the podcast yet. Okay. So like when you're training, you're in a, you're in a stressed out state. Training is a stressor obviously, and it's a good stressor, but what happens a lot, even with general population people and athletes, especially, um, you'll see that stressed out, like amped up fight or flight. It's called sympathetic, um, state last longer than the training session. And that's what we don't want. We want to get you from that amped up state down into a more relaxed recovery oriented state called a parasympathetic state. And one of the, one of the ways that we can accomplish that is by getting cortisol back down to baseline or closer to baseline. And a way that we can make that happen is through addressing carbohydrates or eating carbohydrates, um, post-workout because the hormone cortisol is a catabolic hormone and the hormone insulin, which is stimulated by the, um, ingestion of carbohydrates is an anabolic hormone. So they have an inverse relationship. So when one goes up, the other goes down, vice versa. So if cortisol is super high, what do we want to do to get it down? We want to get insulin up. How do we get insulin up? You eat and you eat specifically carbohydrates. Um, so that's another area where post-workout nutrition can be uh, really important. And I think that's one that's often overlooked. And I would say that that's probably more important than the whole muscle protein synthesis thing um, in the context of athletic performance, because, uh, or even in the context of general population, because um, you want to get into that recovery state so you can bounce back and, and perform well the next session. Okay. I love it, dude. That's, I, I, I don't have anything to add to that. Honestly, that's, um, I do agree. I like, talk I a think lot. That, no, that's, that's perfect, dude. I, <laughs> I agree that I feel like the anabolic window, like one, 
yeah, I do think it was a thing where like whey protein companies are like, okay, a shake is literally the only way to smash protein. 30 seconds I had to get done working out. So we're going to hype this up. But then it did swing too far in the other direction where now everybody's sure. like, and I think this is kind of going backwards in the middle, but for a while I feel like everybody's like, yeah, none of that matters. Like total calories are all that matter. And again, it's all about context. Like we have our hierarchies. Yeah. Like if you're somebody that yeah. doesn't know how many calories you're eating per day, then okay, yeah, this probably doesn't matter for you. But if you're like, if you're past that point, if you're focusing on macros, it makes a difference. Oh yeah, it makes a big difference. And it's like even if like my thing is, especially like working with the population I work with, a one to two percent difference. You're like, oh, it's only one percent of the whole thing. A one percent difference to get the difference between you getting a contract and not. Right. So if you want to dial that in, let's do it. Like if you're in a place, if you're in a place, you got your macros dialed in, your calories, like everything else is dialed in. There's absolutely no reason not to dial the other stuff into even supplements you want to like say like oh supplements don't matter this and that they can help right and even if it's even if it's a marginal increase if you're an athlete of that level uh or you're just someone looking to really optimize things they can definitely help right no 100 and again it's just all context like where are you at like does it make sense for you to focus on this That's exactly it. i love it all right so again we've gotten pretty far from the weeds here let's take it back to yeah. For all your athletes talking about the foundational principles, like before we worry about pre, intra, post, nutrient timing, stuff like this, like what are the foundational principles? What are the boxes that people need to check? Yeah. So just ignore everything I just talked about for the past 40 <laughs> minutes. Like a lot of it's not going to apply right away. And um, it will eventually, but I would say like basic, basic level. Math is coming to me, like never even looked at nutrition before. You like eat four to five meals per day. Like I even one of my pro guys that I was working with, um, I, I tried to have him track and it just he wasn't doing it for whatever reason. So I was like, dude, okay, just eat four times. I don't care what you eat, just eat four times. Because odds are uh, a lot of well, a lot of these guys come to me saying they're eating two meals per day and like a snack or something, and um odds are like they're under eating. Right. So by getting the meal frequency up, even without them tracking, even though I don't know what's going into those meals, odds are their calories are going up. Right. And that brings me to like the first like foundational point that like the best thing that you could do as an athlete is to get, um, to get your calories where they should be. That's going to be like the main driver of, um, performance, because if your ener energy demands aren't being met, your performance and your recovery is going to suffer. So that's like priority number one. Right. And that's true um, across. And that's, sorry. For sure. That's no, true. Just to clarify, like for everybody listening to this too, because a lot of people listen to this are focused on fat loss. Like that's true yeah. across, across like the spectrum yeah. of your goals. But it's exactly. also different. Like if you were a fat loss, again, like context here, like for somebody focused on fat loss, like we need to control for calories, which is maybe why like if you are eating like four to five big ass meals, it's going to be a struggle. So we have to make sure your calories are in alignment. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, sorry I interrupted you though. Go on. No, you're kidding. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would say first thing is calories and first thing is calories. And also I, I go back and forth with like, do I want to focus on just quantity first or do I want to focus on quality too? Cause I think quality is very important. And I think I don't, Obviously, it's not interchangeable with macros. Like on the whole like nutrition pyramid, you get like energy balance, macros, micros. I do think macros have the edge there just because that's like what's directly fueling performance. Right. But I think 
macros are very close in like the amount that of influence that they have. Cause if you're eating like shit, you're going to feel like shit and you're going to perform like shit. Right. So, um, helping athletes understand like the habits of like getting fruits and ve- getting fruits and vegetables in throughout the day. Um, and typically before I have them like move into tracking, uh, using my fitness pal and like calories, macro stuff like that, I'll have them just follow like a typical kind of precision nutrition style, um, meal, meal schedule. Okay. Like, cool. Every, like, let's get four meals in per day to make sure your calories are getting up without you having to think about it. And then let's make sure you check, like go run through this mental checklist of, okay, cool. I got protein in, got carbs in, I got a, a healthy fat source in, and I got fruits or vegetables in with that meal. Um, just so you can kind of build those habits and they start to understand, oh, that's a protein. Cause if I just tell them track on my fitness pal, this is where a lot of people say like, I don't know how to hit my macros. Like, yeah. Cause you don't know what a macro is. Right. Like first you get on it. If you, once you understand what has protein, what has carbs, what has fat, um, fruits and vegetables are carbs, which is just mind blowing to, to some people, <laughs> but it's true. Um, once you understand that it becomes very easy to then transition into my fitness style. Um, so I like starting athletes there first with like a super basic meal structure, um, and kind of getting the habits in place of when they eat, uh, keeping that consistent just to make sure adherence is there. Because if your schedule's all over the place, it's going to be a lot diff- more difficult to actually stick to the plan. Uh, whereas if things are consistent, it's going to be a lot easier for you to stay consistent. Um, and then transitioning them into, okay, let's just have you maintain the same meal schedule that you were doing before. Let's just have you track um, that food on the app to see where your calories are at. And then from there, making sure they're at least at maintenance or in a surplus or in deficit, depending on what their goal is. They got that down, then it's time to progress to calories and protein. Um, and then from there, it really depends. If they're like, dude, I, I, I want to track the macros, I want to do it, then cool, we'll go, we'll go full force and, and track everything. If they're a little bit hesitant, then I might just have them hang out and track calories and protein and just keep it there. Um, with athletes, I would like to have a little bit more precision over carbohydrate intake, right? Because if for fat loss, you can pretty much let that ratio fall wherever it doesn't right. matter. But with athletes, I want, I want to make sure they're eating enough carbohydrates. So typically what I would do is have the calories set, have the protein set, um, and then give them like a, a rough range for fat. I, I learned this from like one of Eric Helms's videos, um, like give them like a rough range for fat, like 20 to 40% and just make sure they're somewhere within that range every single day. Cause if they're hitting their, calories are hitting their protein they're somewhere within that fat range their carbohydrates are probably going to be appropriate too right um because if fat intake is ad libitum it might get to a point where they're just eating way too much fat and they're not feeling performance optimally but that way it's like a less stressful way to track macros um and then obviously if someone is like they just want to do it then cool we'll track everything and get everything super precise and i love that stuff but a lot of people don't need to progress that far Right. Okay. Dude, that is actually like so weirdly similar to the exact same process I used for like client. It's again like my great minds think alike. Again, like very different goals, but it's like, okay, you have no idea like what we're doing. We're just gonna start with the precision nutrition handful diet. And then like, okay, you wanna like figure out and we like this is how we figure out like your total calorie intake, even though we don't see like the number of calories, is how we control for like your energy intake. And then like, all right, let's like try you're literally just tracking what you're eating. 
okay, let's do calories and protein. And then like, if you really yeah. want to nerd out about macros, nope, let's do it. It's not the most important thing for your goals probably, but it's just weird how much like, how there's a lot of actually. overlap between general population and athletes. Right. Obviously there are differences there, but a lot of the like fundamental principles are exactly the same. It's okay. just tailoring them slightly to, to meet their goals. Like most general population people aren't going to be down in like 600 grams of carbs per day, <laughs> right. um, but an athlete might be, but the concepts of like energy balance and macros and, and micros and timing and stuff like that, a lot of it overlaps. Okay. Okay. I love the foundational principles. So my question for you, do you have caffeine intake recommendations to give people? I think the recommendation is somewhere between, I believe it's three and six milligrams per kilogram okay. per day, I believe is what the ISSN recommendation is. Okay. So like, for example, a 100 kilo, which is roughly 200 pounds, would be consuming anywhere between 300 to 600 milligrams per day. But there's a lot of variance there in terms of how individuals metabolize that. I know there's even some research on like genetic influences. Right. Um, that's, that's really like a start with that baseline and, um, and then assess from there. So like some people like 300 and feel like they're about to have a panic attack. Right. And, uh, some people, I know one guy, I forget who it was, but one, one guy I was talking to like over a gram in a day and he felt yeah. fine. I was like, dude, how is your heart still functioning? But <laughs> like, that's just an example of, um, of how, uh, variable it is but i would start somewhere in that range i would start at the three grams not three don't go three grams per kilogram (laughs) uh three milligrams uh per kilogram and and then kind of go from there one thing i will say is like if you're most people know not to drink coffee at night but if you have a training session in the evening and um you take pre-workout probably not the best call to go with the caffeinated version right so many clients like, I can't sleep. I don't know what's going on. So I'm like, what time do you train at? Oh, I train at seven. What do you have before you train? <laughs> oh, I drink a bang energy drink. I'm like, Three, there's 300 milligrams of caffeine right there. And caffeine, so caffeine has a half-life of like four to five, I think it's four to five hours. Right. So you're drinking that at seven, 300 milligrams of caffeine, five hours later at midnight when I would hope you're at least trying to go to sleep there's still 150 milligrams of caffeine in your system, which is like the same amount as a Starbucks cup of coffee. Um, I know this because I'm a Starbucks addict. I pretty much fund their establishment, (laughs) but um, that's going to make it difficult to fall asleep. So just knowing when to time your caffeine intake, I recommend in a perfect world before 2 PM, cut it off. Um, Again, very individual. Like some people will be able to drink later and sleep totally fine. Whether their sleep quality suffers, that's debatable. Like if you use something to track, like I use the Aura Rings, some people use a Whoop or a Fitbit, Apple Watch, whatever. Odds are, even if you feel like you're falling asleep fine, your sleep quality is probably suffering to some extent. Um, so try to keep it earlier in the day, but just, just be mindful of it so you don't make any stupid mistakes like drinking pre-workout at 7 p.m. Right. Okay. Okay. I love it. And, I can and if you're going to drink coffee, go with cold brew. <laughs> I, I agree, dude. I didn't even... Before the collective, I never. I put you on. Yeah, I know. I love it now. Let's go. Honestly, though, the caffeine thing for me is like limiting caffeine is the hardest thing to practice with. Dude, it's so rough because like I'm dealing with some some gut health stuff right now, and like caffeine and coffee and stuff like that obviously isn't the greatest for that. But it's like (laughs) I just like I'm genuinely 
actually addicted to it and it's not i'm aware of it which is good the awareness, awareness is key awareness is the first step change, bro everyone does produce change but it's like every time i try to dial back the caffeine intake it's just like it's not it's not good it's not good <laughs> no and then like it. yeah I, every once in a while i'll do like a caffeine fast for like two or three days because i think i read somewhere like it's like takes three days for the receptors to kind of um re reset i don't know how true that is okay. it's like if you've been like really heavy on the caffeine three days seems like a really short period of time for yes. things to go back so to normal do you feel resensitized after that because that does seem like a very short time well i definitely feel superhuman after reintroducing coffee but i don't know if that's a result of me actually being more sensitive to it or just the fact that i felt like crap for the past two days and i finally like have caffeine again which saying that i allowed that's just a terrible mindset to have <laughs> but um it's true and it's true for a lot of people unfortunately <laughs> no i get it i can relate all right dude on that note i know you're pretty short on time you crushed it i so appreciate you coming on man um of course. Tell, tell the people where they can find you anything at all you want to plug yeah so i would say the best place to find me at is on instagram that's where i post most of my content i also post on facebook and on linkedin and twitter um, but most most of like the original content's going on instagram and then as far as things to plug, I don't know when this will be releasing, but, um, should be out next week. Okay. So it's probably not going to be out yet, but in just, I think a few weeks, maybe a month, I'm still debating the release date, but I'm putting together this new program. That's essentially taking athletes through the entire process that I would take a, um, a one-on-one -on -one client with, oh, uh, through, um, without me actually like coaching you through it. Actually, I am coaching you through it, but it's not like the actual one-on-one -on -one program. So my goal is to, I want to make nutrition coaching a lot more accessible for athletes, especially guys in high school, college, um, even pro guys and the budgets can be tough. So I wanted to make it a lot more accessible. So it's essentially taking you through the entire process that I would take you through if you were in the one-on-one -on -one program, um, just without the, without as much of a financial investment um, so that way it's a lot more accessible. So this is going to be like a written portion. I, I'm not done with it yet, but it's over a hundred pages long. So like it's insanely okay. detailed. Okay. Um, and then it pretty much takes you through like that whole process that I just outlined. And then there's going to be a video portion, like some modules. Um, the videos are going to be, uh, converted into audio files. So like if you want to listen to it, like you would to listen to a podcast in your car, walk in class, whatever you can do that. And there's some other resources too. I'm going to put together some interviews with like other experts and then some athletes in the space as well. So there's going to be a lot in there. So if you're an athlete, listen to this, or even a coach that works with athletes, I think it would be something definitely worth checking out. Um, so definitely the best place to find out more about that will be on my Instagram at T Clark nutrition. And then I also have the podcast, uh, the peak performance project. Okay. Dope. Dope. I love it. All right, dude, I will link all that up in the show notes again, brother. Thank you so much for coming on. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much.